All right, this is Kevin from Shared Secrets. I have recently launched uh, my own security consultancy named RTX Security based in Minneapolis here and offering a full suite of cybersecurity advisory as well as application security services focused on testing, strategy, uh, all sorts of uh, support with for clients working on hard security problems. If you have anything that you'd like to uh, discuss, maybe there's some way that I can help you, uh, feel free to reach out at podcast at rtxsecurity.com. Thank you. No one knows my secrets, even if I told you. Dennis. Kev. Hey, I noticed last week mm-hmm. we, I mean, we took like more than a year off of the podcast and we didn't even say like who we are at all. Do you think we should do that maybe this week? Sure. All right. Well, you go first. You're the most important person here. <laughs> uh, my name is Dennis Sheridan. I uh, am the director of AppSec <clears throat> uh, at Gemini and have a long history in application security consulting um, with uh, Sigil and Synopsis for many, many years. All right. I am Kevin Nasri. I'm the founder of RTX Security. Uh, and until recently, I was uh, I also worked at Gemini. I was the chief information security officer for Gemini for a little over a year. All right. Now that we got that boring stuff out of the way, <laughs> things are heating up. You and I, you, I asked you last week, Dennis, mm-hmm. how do we make the podcast better? You said, let's get angry. <laughs> right? I don't know if that was my exact feedback. What are we, uh, we going to talk about today? Uh, we are going to talk about ways that pen tests reports can can be improved. Yeah, actually, I've got some that's beyond the reports. So let, maybe let's do let's you know we're gonna actually let's top ten ways that we can make penetration testing better. And I guess we'll kind of focus on that application security ty- side of penetration testing just because I think that that's our deepest area of expertise, but probably a lot of this could get extracted to other areas too. Um, sound good? Sounds great to me. And I've seen your list. You got a great list in front of you. I've written my own list, and I thought maybe we'd uh, bounce back and forth a little bit. So these will be in no particular order, or not like a priority order, I don't think. But let's uh, let's get going. So what's... Dennis, or, or if you do want to order, like what is what are the thing that you're most passionate about talking about, like uh, challenges with with application penetration testing today? Uh, oh, I think the biggest place that I could see room for improvement in uh, is like how they are transferring the results to you, right? I think the age of PDFs is is dead, right? Like. That there is value for a PDF, but that that should not be the primary uh, mechanism for conveying these results. So, my, you know, my biggest uh, thing to improve is to say, "Hey, make all these make like just I need the data, right? So I need right. well structured data for these findings because, um, you know, if you're running a mature program, the, you're, those findings they're going to go live somewhere, right? They're going to live in a defect tracker and a JIRA and something like that, and the copying and pasting out of PDFs is just not ideal. So, you know, uh, you know, my, my recommendation, you know, like my biggest ask is that <clears throat> pen test providers, uh, 
provide an API, you know, that you can tap into uh, to programmatically get the results. Um, and then, you know, frankly, I would think, um, uh, and also like maybe request the generation of a PDF. I, I may not need the PDF as my first thing mm-hmm. that I need to look at. Uh, I may need it just to prove like for some audit and compliance things like, yes, we did do, we had this test done and I can generate that PDF, you know, as needed. So that was my big thing. Yeah. Um, makes sense to me. And you know what you're, you're, you kind of posed it as reaching out to the, the testing provider space. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm an economics nut. What we got to do here is get the buyers, right? So if you're buying penetration tests, you've got to start basically creating, you know, um, redlining the statement of work and saying, we use this tool and we want to be able to automatically import findings or going so far as giving them, you know, a JSON schema or a XML schema or something of like, we want, we want the data back. It doesn't have to be terribly complex, complex, right? Like as long as even, you know, people could use, you know, uh, Excel, you know, that's better than, than if it's, you know, consistent delimination is, is better than, than nothing. Right. But, um, I think we got to change this on the buyer side. I have one that I think pairs nicely with that, right? Like, uh, you know, a a nice red wine for that one. Right. (laughs) So you said that, uh, PDF reports have value. Um, and I think probably one of the things that you're, you're reaching out there is, um, you know, maybe there's like more information about how to remediate a finding in there. Right. So my, my first nitpick or my first problem is remediation guidance provided by application penetration testers or security assessors or firms that specialize in that. It's pretty bad usually. I think that they are targeted at resolution of the finding or too narrowly focused at that. I think, you know, if somebody wants to go out there and make an impact on actually, you know what, nix that. If you're a penetration testing provider out there and you want somebody to add value to you, you call up RTX, you call me up <laughs> and I'm going to come in and I'm going to, I'm going to revitalize your mediation guidance because what we have to do is be able to kind of consistently map to application development processes and failures in those processes and start saying, well, okay, this, we have this finding which is usually an indicator of deficiencies in this software development process that could be improved in this way, right? That root cause analysis. You have to treat vulnerabilities as escapes from your development process. Do that escape analysis. So I don't really want, you know, very detailed, oh, you can go and here's your test case and we recommend that you parameterize the SQL query. No, like you shouldn't be messing around like that. Mm. That's my, anyway, I thought it paired, paired well with the reporting thing because it's another reporting issue that stopped giving me bad remediation advice. Yeah. I like that. I think, um, for me, maybe like the tipping point would be the number of instances, right? Like, Hey, if you're going to tell me that I've got one, one instance of some bug, yeah, give me the tactical thing. Aren't you but, diving into one of the ones on your list? Let's well, do that one next. Let's just dive back in. Okay. All right. Well, my next one yeah. um, is I would like better descriptions of the testing strategy 
uh, for the business logic portions, right, um, uh, of the test. So I think that, um, you know, that's often where most of the value is found, right, uh, and, like, or more of the higher severity issues are, like, hey, we can bypass what this thing is supposed to do, right? Um, and, and, you know, there's not really often a lot of detail on that. It'll just say, yeah, we're going to do business logic testing. Um, and for me, coming from a QA background early in my career, you know, that was a big thing, like having to write these test strategy docs and like, hey, this is what this thing does. So we're going to try to break it in these ways um, or just like make sure that it works in these ways. I would just like to see uh, more of that because, uh, again, I think it's sort of just and I will get into this um, in another one, so not to steal any thunder, but... All right, you know, well, you threw some fish out on the table. Let me get a nice white wine here for that one. <laughs> okay. If we're talking about methodology, and I'm just like, this is one area that I think is the hardest for both, like for you know providers, for everything, but in a penetration test, one of the most difficult things to balance is this like depth versus breadth of testing. You know, are we going to go out and try to detect, you know, shallowly detect kind of first order problems across the complete attack surface of an application? Or once we find something, are we going to like try to like maximally exploit that thing and impact? And, you know, at the extremes, this might be like red teaming versus coverage or, or something like objective oriented versus coverage oriented testing. But I find a lot of pen tests kind of get lost in this space. And what ends up happening is the consumer or, you know, of a third party penetration test who, you know, it's a pretty opaque window to say, well, did you, you know, did you, you found this SQL injection flaw Did I, did you cover all of my fields for this type of issue um, or something along those lines? Right. So how does somebody balance the depth versus breadth? And then maybe along with that, how do you report that to me in a, in a way that tells me something about my my uh, my coverage in this test? So I find that to be a difficult situation to to balance as both a provider and a consumer of penetration tests. Yeah, and I, I agreed uh, obviously with like the exploratory nature of the of pen testing, right? But I think a it'll give me a better assurance. Hey, do you understand how this thing is supposed to work so that I, I kind of have confidence that you're able to try to make the opposite happen. Right. And then again, um, it's really, I think just trying to increase the visibility into what's happening or in what is planned to happen for a pen test. Um, where I feel like on the QI QA side of the house, very high visibility into like what they're doing. Uh, mm. and I think it's like very much the opposite on security testing side uh and it doesn't really they don't often do a great job of like letting you know all the work that went into that test i find interesting i i have even a companion for that one but i wonder if that's going to screw up our bouncy balance format (laughs) (laughs) well why don't you hit us with your next one i think in penetration testing compared to other like defect discovery or software security mechanisms Penetration testing is the hardest to have meaningful automation. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what are you talking about? You got Burp, you've got all these DAS tools out there. And I I want I came up with this analogy while I was driving this morning. 
and here's my analogy, is a penetration tester is driving the car, right? Sure, you've got automatic transmission. You've got wiper blades that help you, you know, remove <laughs> moisture from your windshield. But that car is really, you're manually driving that car. And I think a penetration tester at this point is manually driving these tools and it's it ties into to that piece that you were just talking about is the methodology you know consistency and constraints it's it's a discovery process it's diversity of technical stacks and how things are interfaced and you know there are point specific tools that help with increasing some levels of efficiency like field fuzzing or something like that. But overall, it um, I think part of the lack of consistency there and the, and the lack of being able to document the methodology is because there's so much uh, you know created creativity necessary to do a, a good job in penetration testing. And you know it's a hard space to automate, in my opinion, meaningfully automate. Now I know you Tesla drivers out there. Dennis and I drive Toyotas. We drive old Toyotas, right? <laughs> That's what we're known for. <laughs> Maybe the self-driving car world um, will have some uh, parallel in the future for, um, you know, automation around uh, more comprehensive automation or more substantive automation using, you know, some of these newfangled technologies that's difficult for us Toyota drivers to wrap our head around. <laughs> okay. Uh, my next one kind of dovetails into what I was talking about before, but I want to know what tests passed, right? Now, that might be a little bit like on face value, like, okay, that, that might be too specific, but give me an idea of the types of things that pass. Like, I want to know, again, this is back to like increasing the visibility. What are the things that I know that you checked and they were fine, right? Like, so I at least have like, I, I know what I can have confidence in rather than just knowing, well, I don't think that they found bad stuff in that area of our app or that, that you know, um, this, you know, our input sanitization or whatever this feature. Um, so that's what I would like to see some sort of like, Hey, we checked out, you know, these pages, these pages were all fine for, you know, our standard checklist of things. Right. Um, I have heard of some companies, uh, providing something, uh, at this, but it's just not something that I see like, you know, throughout the industry. Is that a, uh, serving of mashed potatoes that you'd like some nice gravy for? <laughs> Please, I'm a big gravy fan. Somebody finds 10 issues with your app and you go and fix them all, that, that does not mean that your app is secure, right? Like those tests were probably time boxed. And the next time you test that app, you'll probably find 10 different issues. Um, so I really think we've gotten kind of away from, I mean, it's certainly uh, an important part and the way that it's important is a penetration test, you know, can find certain types of defects better than other testing methodologies. And that's going to tell you. And when you root cause those issues, you're going to find deficiencies in your software development process. And your job is to go and fix those, those areas of your development process so that you avoid those types of risks. So, and I, I think the kind of continuous circle of, of penetration testing, it's a really valuable tool, but it's it's not telling me how secure an app is and um you know and i think a lot of times and maybe i've even been guilty of this in, in the past um you know oh here's my clean penetration test that means i'm good to go 
Yeah. I've been, I think what we're getting back to there again, is like visibility, right? It's like tough to know what happened in this, right? To your point. And I totally agree that, you know, a clean pen test report does not mean that there's like a complete absence of vulnerabilities in an app. But, um, you know, I feel like a letting us know like how, how much of this app you covered, how much of the things that you tested, right? Like passed versus failed. Um, I just think that that gives a better sense of coverage, uh, you know, the, the coverage of the pen test. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think we're both getting towards the same thing there. Yeah. Okay. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? After All right. 15 years working <laughs> side by side and three different jobs and 22 episodes of this fantastic podcast that we would, we would maybe touch on some of the same things. <laughs> okay. I'm up next. I'm going deep into the weeds on this one. This is probably not something that actually people, most people would care about, but I, I, I uh, I am in the camp that I want, <clears throat> for me, I want one finding per Vuln instance, okay? And I know that people, there's like kind of two camps when it comes to tickets. Give me one ticket for like, and it's got everything in there or, you know, give me one ticket per thing you want me to fix. And I'm very much in that latter camp. Um, and so, uh, you know, one thing I have seen in pen test reports is, Hey, you have this type of finding and we found it in these places. Uh, but to go back to like, you know, my, my first thing, like you're going to need to be able to present that data to me in a way that I can, you know, create a a single ticket for, for each of these instances. Uh, and you know, the, the reason why I'm in this camp of like, I don't care about the number of tickets in our defect management system, right? Like each thing is a discrete thing that needs to be fixed. And I just all too often had seen, you know, I don't know what you call them, sort of zombie tickets where, okay, yeah, we fixed two out of the 10 things that were listed in here. So we fixed some stuff. It's in a quasi state of like being 20% remediated. And like, I just don't like that. Like, I, I'm 100% on board with that, right? Like, I think you're you're a mature program uh, driver, a, a mature you know software security leader in that sense, in which you don't just want to clean. Oh, we fixed everything, type of thing. You 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 want to basically treat each issue as an indicator of of that escape and and comprehensively fix it across. And even if that requires touching a hundred percent of the code base, that's a, you know that's okay. Let's define the sprint to do this work and, and kind of measure progress against it. In a, yeah. In a and I, and I think the two things can live together though, right? Like um, your, your uh, focus on finding like more root cause fixes and my desire to have like, okay, well I want to have like a, a, a audit trail of like all of the instances of the failure of that. And so. Yeah. It, Deeply connected. Right. Like, yes. Yeah. All right, good one. All right, back to you. Okay, here's my last one. So I don't know how many you have left. (laughs) I have one left, so we did screw up somewhere along the line. No, no, we did Serpentine. So you started, you finished, right? Perfect. So uh, the cost to measure the effectiveness of this stuff, right? And I, you know, we maybe skirted around this, but let's say I'm a consumer and I'm, I've got two, I'm evaluating 
X provider of, of penetration test versus the best in industry RTX security. Very hard for me as a consumer to measure which one is broken. Actually, it's simple, but costly. And what I have to do is I actually have to give both assessors the exact same application, you know, and I need to give them the same time box. I need to give them the same information and I have to straight up a B test. And that's uh, almost never done because basically you're going to double down on your, your costs um, to do that. So measuring the effectiveness of, of a third party penetration testing provider, it's extremely costly, extremely difficult. And if you do do that, the, I, I do have kind of a, a, a little bit of advice is the way that you should then take that data back is have a complete superset of the findings reduced in that way that we've been talking about of like, well, let's, let's, let's basically go by weakness instead of, specific vulnerability, or, you know, you could, you could baseline a little bit or tweak that a little bit, depending on what your circumstances are in. But ultimately at the end of the day, I have the findings from both providers or all of the providers, if I have more than two, and then I'm going to score those providers based on what percentage of those weaknesses did they discover. And so if everybody finds the easy stuff that kind of cancels each other's out. Um, but then, you know, not every, you're definitely not going to see the exact same, same findings. It may be in certain cases, uh, a little bit of an exercise to try to map these things together because the results can look different, even though they're the same things in certain cases, but, um, it's really costly to do. And therefore a lot of people never reach that point where they have a level of, of scientific measurement of, uh, of one provider against a field of providers to understand, you know, what they're getting. So they may be paying more than they should, maybe paying less, but um, you know, the root cause of, of that is kind of how difficult it is or how costly it is to measure the efficacy of different, uh, different providers. Yeah. And I've actually seen uh, a company that did do this. Um, now I didn't get to see all of the calculus and things that they were doing with the grading behind the scenes, but I, they were doing, uh, this AB testing where they would ha- have just a huge, you know, factory line of pen tests happening and then sample that with this AB test to, to, uh, check the quality of the test that they were getting and mm-hmm. not cheat. You're right. Yeah. I'm going to guess that that was a very successful business in whatever that business did. <laughs> that is correct. Yes. Very successful. Okay. <clears throat> My last one. Uh, what I would like to see uh, for pen test reports to help make things a little bit better in the space, I want to see attribution, uh, tool attribution for automated findings. Um, and I am not saying this to be like, oh, well, you know, I want to see how much manual effort I'm paying for. What did the manual effort portion of this pen test, you know, get me? It's really just more for increased um, <clears throat> uh, sort of like, knowledge sharing, right? Like a company may have their own tooling internally. uh, And one of the valuable, valuable things of getting an external pen tester is that they kind of bring their unique experience and history and tool preferences with them. Um, I also like the fact that, you know, if it is an open source tool, Hey, we can probably do this retest ourselves to make sure that, you know, we're doing apples to apples for the most part, I guess you could differ in how you configure these tools, but, um, 
all right, they found this with Nessus. Let's just like run Nessus once we think we did the fix and and see if that comes back clean, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, ran something else. So I, I would like to see that. Um, I think that would be an, a, an, another nice step forward. Good. All right. Well, um, I think people have heard enough of our perspective as people that build programs, devise strategies, continuous improvement. And what they haven't got a lot of is kind of deep technical expertise on this topic. And uh, I pinged a a mutual uh, co-colleague of ours or or past and current colleague, uh, Rick Ramgotti. I asked Rick what he thought about this area. And we're going to have Rick on the podcast soon to, to get deep into stuff. But he gave a couple of, of things and he really took the perspective of, and uh, for those of you who probably don't know Rick, Rick is, I mean, in my long, way too long career at this point, 25 years plus, uh, Rick is by far, uh, I, he's simply the best uh, deep dive uh, application security penetration tester I've ever worked with. And he had some great opinions on, uh, as a, as an internal expert working on penetration testing, he's been both a consultant, you know, where, where do consultants from the outside are kind of at a disadvantage or, or where's kind of their impact limited. So when you have your, your internal experts for, you know, kind of internal testers and external testers, um, certainly sometimes you're just compelled to use third parties to do this testing, but how, how is it actually, uh, hindered by the fact that they're external to the organization? So he, he gave me four things and I'm going to do my best to kind of, uh, replay them. Cause I think it was really, uh, illuminating to me. The first one, they're not going to have the contextualization and the, and a deep understanding of the business logic of what that application does. And that kind of directly corresponds most notably to kind of missing uh, authorization issues, right? So the fact that a application flow should result in, you know, revealing a page or something like that, there's there's a lot of areas where this is something that, you know, with a, a strong understanding of how an application works that's routine through multiple penetration tests, um, you know, that type of stuff is, is really going to be result in better test coverage results of these business logic areas. Totally agree. I mean, I think that that's a good thing to keep in context is like, Hey, this is effectively a stranger to your business that you're bringing in for likely a two week pen test, right? Uh, you've spent years building this thing. Uh, and now that, you know, they're scrambling to find out and try to comprehend as much as they can, uh, while still having enough time left over to do the testing. Yeah. And although I'm going to, you know, in any business meeting I, I, I have to try to sell penetration testing uh, soon, I'm going to be, hey, you know, there's value in, in, in switching and, and prov- getting a new perspective. We're bringing a new set of skills, expertise to the assessment. We're going to find things that the previous assessor didn't find. But it is an argument in the case of maybe consistency, if you can guarantee really to a resource level, you know, if you can do that test, um, you know, via on, on multiple quarters of releases with the same testers, that's probably an area that they could accumulate more knowledge over time. So when you do switch providers, that's, that's probably going to be, this area is probably going to be impacted by those changes. The next one that Rick had is like, observability in the environment, right? So being able and having the access, and this is kind of like a version of white 
white box or, you know, uh, full information assessment versus, um, you know, closed box or, or something like that. But these, this notion that, you know, if you have access to the backend logging infrastructure, if you have access to debug application facilities or direct access into the runtime environment, you know, via, via shell, you're going to have more control and observability and kind of a lot more data over those individual test cases that you run. And that's going to make your testing not only more efficient, but also accurate in the sense like you can, you can see like a, a, a symptom um, materialize in, in those, those systems. You, you might see like a, a call bailout or an error or something like that Pri faster or, or with, with uh, greater coverage than you might see like, might just like in an application dynamically interacting with an application, you might see just like a delay, something gets mm -hmm. slow, right? But there's going to be debug information. So in order to get that observability, really the onboarding effort for third-party penetration tests would just be too annoying. Like you basically, you're just, you're bringing them in as, as full-fledged consultants, which some, it's definitely worth doing that in certain cases. And that we've definitely done that in certain cases, but even then it's like every time you hop into a new environment, it takes a lot of time to, to kind of master everybody's, you know, it might be, you know, Splunk in one place and just, you know, syslog data in the other. It, it's the tooling require. it's, it's going to bring a learning curve there and kind of hinder results. So um, that's something that your internal uh, testers are going to have an advantage in visibility to rather than a third party tester. Yeah. And, you know, not to be a broken record about this, but, you know, making the switch from QA testing to security testing years ago, uh, that was like one of the biggest shocking things to me, uh, was like, oh yeah, having access to the logs and, you know, the database to see, hey, I did this thing, like what happened inside the app or, you know, what's, you know, just having that greater visibility. And then when you go from that to being like a third party outsider pen tester, you don't have that. It felt like, oh man, I feel it really felt kind of hamstrung or like a, a, a bit like, like a very core thing was missing. Um, have you considered extending your love of obsolete technology repair from typewriters into record players? Mm, I haven't because I don't know anything about record players. Not, Not that yet. I knew a lot about typewriters but it's, I'm sure, but... yeah, like when you were diving into typewriters, I'm sure it requires the same, you know, little tools and everything. And oh, okay. And this is so that results. I can fix being a broken record? Is that... Well, you mentioned broken records. So, oh, okay. But and it does seem like an area that you would, you know, naturally pivot into after you've mastered typewriter repair. That's true. Well, I got three more to go, and then maybe I can. Also, you're you've got a new LinkedIn course coming out about typewriter repair. People should be able to <laughs> masterclass actually. Masterclass. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I'm going to tune in. Good. Um, Rick had a couple more things, uh, and some of them I'm going to save for direct. But his his the last one that I can I could probably easily or at least give you some insight into uh, from him was kind of understanding the second order implications of of different impacts. So, for instance, you know you may have a way to control a piece of data or something, but without understanding how that data is used or consumed by other systems within an infrastructure, like you know, a cron job may, you, you may think, okay, well, I can just get this into a log, right? But there may be a cron job out there that actually analyzes that log and does something with those fields or something like that. So that's just something that naturally um, is only going to be really carefully 
understood or explored by people that have really wide and broad knowledge, kind of full stack knowledge of systems and even multiple systems and how they're interconnect, you know, it, it, it can, uh, it can lead to a lot of this stuff that's, that's generally not going to be discovered. Combining things that maybe seem innocuous into, you know, devastating attacks is kind of the name of the, of the game for true, true advanced persistent threats out there. Yeah, and I, I've seen this firsthand, uh, which is why I think it's always important to try to do a threat model first to highlight those things, those inter-system uh, connections or you know data data flows. Um, because yes, you know I think typically information disclosure findings are more on the lower severity, um, but finding out that info disclosed from one system, you know, is essentially used as a key in another downstream system right? Like that's the kind of thing that it's very easy to not appreciate uh, without having a view of the big picture and how data is used in, you know, different parts of the system. Absolutely. All right. Well, if you want to hear two blowhards talk about threat modeling for an hour, uh, scroll back into the catalog and there's a good episode on uh, probably our best received episode. So uh, was the, the one that we did on threat modeling. So Dust that off. Uh, it still applies. Not uh, threat modeling is is very similar than it was to eighteen months ago or whenever we recorded that. Um, one of my favorite episodes to uh, to do and share as well. All right, I think we did it, bud. That's good. Another one in another, the can. Another great episode, and I really like that uh, our back and forth where where I I paired those those fine those fine gravies. <laughs> Yeah, this is actually probably an episode that I will go back and listen to. Maybe while I walk the dog. Oh, you you don't listen to to the episodes? Well, I listen to podcasts in that one and a half times speed, and I'm like, I just oh my god, yeah, that's insane. So, but so I, I already you're a like, sociopath, buddy. <laughs> that's not one a sociopath. That's good. I just am consuming the info fast. Does it make me sound like a chipmunk? Like I, you know, yeah. Well, that's what I was gonna say. It's like I, I, you sound fine. It's like I don't know, like. Just you know how it is when you hear your voice on yeah, tape yeah. for like that first time, and then having it sped up, it's like I just it's doubly like just annoying to me. So anyway, do you notice how much I edit out of these podcasts? Yeah, all my speaking parts for the most part. <laughs> what I've noticed. Yeah, you had like if you add up all the time you spoke, I think you had like uh, five minutes in the last one. Yeah, <laughs> and that was your longest episode. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, we're gonna leave all this this in. So thanks for listening to. Uh, to the RTX Security Podcast, uh, Shared Secrets. We're, we're powered by RTX now. And uh, yeah, thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Kev. No one knows my secrets.